Welcome, welcome to a new episode of The Young Professionals here on TopCoreSoccer.com. This is Travis Clark, once again, sitting in the host's seat. Joining me this week is my usual partner in crime. What did I call you? My Seattle sidekick last time? Yeah, I was your Robin. I I didn't like it, but you can go for it if you want. This week is partner in crime, although there's a third wheel uh, joining us as Mike Rodriguez, TopCoreSoccer.com social media guru and the guy on Twitter who really likes mascots. Maxi Rodriguez. Maxi, how's it going? Pretty good. Happy to be here. I haven't been back since, I believe, the Halloween episode, so it's finally nice to get another invitation. Indeed, indeed. Well, we know how busy you are scheduling posts on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Scheduling scheduling tweets just takes all the... Yeah. I mean, that is basically your job. So Mm -hmm. Uh, today's episode, obviously, if you are any kind of soccer follower, whether from the casual to the diehard, the FIFA foibles... Shall we? FIFA fails is probably a better way to go about this. But the sort of saga that was started Wednesday morning when the news broke from Switzerland that uh, up to, I believe, 14 people were arrested kind of a, in and around the area surrounding the uh, FIFA Congress, which is obviously holding an election for Sepp Blatter, which is scheduled for Friday. Uh, we're recording here on a Thursday and obviously assuming that Blatter will win, but we're not really sure. What to make of all this? Obviously, the news coming out from the Department of Justice, the U.S. criminal investigation into sort of CONCACAF and other federations embroiled in lots and lots of scandals. Will, break it all down for us. That's I I just want to post cat gifts. That's all I want to do because this is the most overwhelming. I mean, the thing that is unfortunate to me is that the U.S. is not – um, all that familiar with FIFA in terms of our general media. You know, we we look at the NFL and, I mean, how much press did Spygate and all that crap get? And this is like a majillion times bigger. And, you know, the, the thing that we're being robbed of are these beautifully ridiculous hot take articles from, like, random newspaper uh, columnists who are, like, 55, 65, and just like completely out of touch with reality. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I do. The Orlando City Register had a, a columnist, and I forget his name, but there was a, a, a girl named J.C. Dugard who was um, captured and held um, by some lunatic for like 15 years, um, basically as like a prisoner. And she was finally released. And this Orlando City Register sports columnist came out and wrote a column uh, basically to JC telling her about all the things that happened in sports over the last 15 years. <laughs> and oh the, la- the last line of his column was something like, JC, you finally left the yard because she was like shackled in a yard for 15 years. And it was, you know, it was like a horrible, repulsive analogy to hitting a home run. So I feel like those are the kinds of hot takes that we we just don't get in America over this this FIFA scandal, and it's it's just a real shame. It's a real shame. Yeah. Skip Bayless hasn't said anything yet. That's what I was really hoping for. He probably doesn't even know what's happening. Let's be honest. He doesn't know what's happening in the general world. I think. I think he's just that drunk is all the definitely. Time. I think one of the, the the downsides to this, but people are talking a lot about the upside. Like this is going to actually change FIFA. And as we were talking before the show, I'm still skeptical, dubious. You know, it's a system set up where basically the guys with all the money and power 
are going to make sure that they keep it that way. Now, if I'm, am, I, am I wrong in being skeptical? I know, obviously, you guys know me. I'm pretty cynical, glass half empty kind of a guy most of the time, right? So it's like, what exactly is this going to change? I know that it could end up forcing Bladder, but like Michel Platini, as if he is any better than Sepp Bladder. Am I wrong here? No, I think you're totally right. But I think the I think the only reason to be hopeful here is well, I think there's two. One, yesterday during the Department of Justice announcement, they really specified that this was just the start of the announcement of just the start of the legal proceedings. So, I mean, there's not necessarily any guarantee or even a reason to hope that Seth Blatter is one of the people they're targeting. But just that this is the first step towards a larger criminal investigation, I think that's promising. So there's definitely a reason to hope that, you know, we'll see people roll over on other people and maybe bring in a few more of the more problematic people within FIFA's ranks. But besides that, I think the thing here is that um, this is the kind of thing that forces sponsors to really reconsider their sponsorship of FIFA in the World Cup. Um, it's one thing to completely ignore sort of like the abuses that are going in, going on in Qatar because that's not a topic that's covered worldwide necessarily. You'll see a lot of coverage, lots of in-depth newspaper articles, but it's not sort of a wide-reaching mass media coverage. But this FIFA story is a completely different thing. And I think if you saw Visa's statement they released today, it was a lot sharper than any other statement any sponsor has released in the past. So there's reason to hope it might be just that sponsors might finally be reaching a point where they don't necessarily have a benefit of being associated with FIFA anymore. Yeah, I guess I, my, of course, cynical response to that is, well, then you look at some other sponsor, you know, some, like, credit card company from Russia will just fill the void. Although I know that's a bad example because, you know, you want the multinational, the big names involved and at these sort of World Cup-type events. Sure, yes, it could end up changing the landscape of FIFA but you know I still think it's far too early you know we're less you know we're just over 24 hours from when this all broke down so it's really difficult to know the sort of the specifics you know what happens next does the U.S. have the jurisdiction to the make these sort of changes kind of trigger these sort of and I think the one thing that's really funny about all of this especially if you're looking at it from a UK perspective you know obviously they got burned with 2018 World Cup or they were just bummed that they didn't win Russia got it and now kind of the focus is the well Russia Qatar Russia Qatar because everyone's obsessed with the notion of changing these World Cup which is for good reason but Will I know you're a history political science guy is there a chance that this fiasco ends up causing World War Three as Russia gets really pissed off if they lose the World Cup? Um, or is that tr yeah, drastic? I don't think that's, uh, that's a knee-jerk. I think we definitely could. Uh, the thing that's funny, though, is that Russia is kind of floating above the fray right now. I mean, if you think about the rhetoric and, and everything that's being pushed forth in, in media, I mean, it's Qatar, 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 and, you know, clearly... The working conditions there are, are worse than Russia, but you know Russia's doing probably on a on a large scale. Um, Russia's doing shadier things in more places, uh, just with uh, its its billionaires sort of fanning out across the globe and sort of creating these like mini fiefdoms in in different countries that are are made from pretty sketchy business enterprises. I mean, I don't know how many Russian billionaires there are, but. I would be willing to bet a staggering percentage of them 
uh, made their money in, in ways that would probably be illegal in the United States. Um, and yet, you know, here's, here's Putin, you know, subtly, well, not so subtly, uh, poking the U.S. Um, kind of over the fact that the U.S., uh, the, the DOJ sort of broke all this, and, and Russia, of course, feeling as though uh, its, its, its World Cup bid might be in jeopardy. There's, you know, Putin comes out and says that they're, you know, U.S. is meddling in FIFA affairs for 2018. And, um, and you know, I, I think that was one of the, the, the first real um, moments during all of this that we kind of stepped back from Qatar and realized, like, hey, Russia kind of sucks, too. I mean, there's, like, a lot of uh, crappy stuff going on there, too. So, I, you know, do I think... Qatar might get revoked. Yes, um, you know they, they did it with. I, I want to say uh, Colombia had um, it, its World Cup bid taken or or it gave it back. Like, but wasn't that because of violence? Yeah, I mean it, it it wasn't because of corruption, but um, you know from a practical standpoint, I think it was like three and a half years away from uh, right, right from from the World Cup, and I, I think they gave it to Mexico instead. Um, and it, you know, that, that went off fine and we're seven, what, seven and a half years from guitar, seven years. Um, and so I, I think the, the Washington post just came out with a projected death toll of something like over 4,000 workers, um, by, by that time. And who knows if, you know, the, the pace now quickens or, or lessens, but it, that is enough to where like a Coca-Cola would say, you know, we're, we're done, especially if, if the public outcry continues on like it has. I think that the thing that kind of is a little bit disheartening when you hear the, the sponsors have these negative reactions, and it's more about negative publicity yeah, for these scandals than it cynical. is the, sort of the human rights stuff that's been going on. I mean, it's just so complicated with the geopolitical in, intricate webs that are woven between you know, business and sport, and it's the world's most popular sport, so there's just so much money, and, you know, these guys have been spending, uh, you know, siphoning off, I guess. You know, they talked about $110 billion worth of bribes related to the Copa America, that's Copa Centenario, I believe is what it's called, next summer, that's supposed to be here in the United States. Uh, Obviously, the implications of, you know, CONCACAF President Jeffrey Webb, who is Oh, you know, he wrote in on this, you know, I'm going to reform CONCACAF and help change FIFA. You know, kind of that, that was what he wrote in on to his presidency, and now he's been named in this, and I believe he was one of the people arrested. Uh, even closer, Aaron Davidson, who was, the, I believe, the CEO of the North American Soccer League uh, and heavily involved with traffic, also worked with Traffic, um, a company that's linked up in all this. Obviously, I recommend heading online um, us kind of spouting out random facts I don't think is necessarily helpful. Obviously, you can check out useful resources like Reddit Soccer or Will's blog post with cat gifts that will help detail uh, what's going on here. Maxie, are there concerns about these implications close to home that, you know, whether it's not the U.S. Soccer Federation or it's just how did all this stuff go on here and nobody said anything about it until now? It is, so that's kind of my question. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those funny things where – it's made even weirder by the fact that I think all of us assumed these things were happening and not even assumed all of us just knew that these were things were happening and just, you know, none of us had any way to actually take action. But 
it's one of those interesting things where you look at the people who are involved and you have to ask why they used U.S. banks in all of their shady dealings. It, it's such an obvious thing to not interact with the U.S. banking system and just open that door for any sort of legal action. I don't understand that, but I think it's just a matter of looking at the way CONCACAF evolved since like the 17th or the 70s and the 80s. Like these guys have it's been like you're about to say 1700s since there. the 1780s. Since the initial Washington inauguration, um, but no, um, it's, it's it's funny to look at these people who have been with FIFA so long. It's been the same people the entire time, and just going through their numbers that were publicly available, you could see just the way they were distributing money. It's not a surprise at all. And I think it's just one of those things where FIFA's sort of overreaching power and desire to restrict any sort of governmental interference just took a leading role here in enabling in enabling CONCACAF. Yeah, I mean, what Bladder's done and what the next you know, FIFA czar, if you will, will have to look out for and what we'll be looking out for is basically create this um, unbreakable monop- votes monopoly amongst small confederations because, you know, I think it would be interesting if FIFA went to sort of a, a, a electoral college voting system like we have here, where you know the the bigger states um, have more um, you know more votes, so to speak, um, more more points in uh, in the system just to to reflect sheer numbers, instead of you know a Cayman Islands, which has you know however many hundreds of thousands of, of citizens having the same exact uh, clout in 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 the voting system as like a France or or Spain, um, but is that's what it used to be though in FIFA, and that's you know how I think Joe Havelange I believe was the president before SEP, and that's what he kind of wrote in on the change, is that the kind of European bigger countries were controlling everything. Hey, what about us little guys? So I could have that wrong, but that's just kind of my instant reaction to that. You know, I agree with you, but. Would that mean just the you know the rich become richer type situation? Well, the, the the alternative, as we've seen, is you know the Caymans having the same exact um, you know the same exact push, and so what what ends up happening is FIFA um, focuses on the weak points in the system, and those are inevitably these these poorer countries that are smaller that you know oh you're going to give us you know, $10 million to build some soccer infrastructure and an academy, well, of course we're going to vote for you, you know, for the rest of your tenure. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, I'd be curious to see how they separated sort of those, you know, kickbacks. You know, what what's a bribe and what's these, like, projects? You know, say China goes, puts a bunch of money somewhere, they get votes in some capacity that they want. Or, you know, however the money flow goes there, it's just... How do you even regulate that? Those are sort of the things that when you're looking at this complex web of um, business and whatnot. So uh, we're recording here on a Thursday. The FIFA election, presidential election, looks like uh, between Prince Ali and Sepp Blatter, looks like it should be going ahead on Friday. Obviously, there's expectation that Sepp will win. We don't know how easy that'll be. We don't know how hard it'll be. I believe I saw that the... African Confederation and the Asian Confederations all both released statements saying that they will vote for him. Um, obviously, Prince Ali, who knows what, if it, what differences he bring? I you know I'm 
brought this up earlier in the point, but I think it's worth revisiting. Uh, Maxi, what do you think happens from here on out? You know, let's say Prince Ali wins. Does that really change much? I mean, he's wrote in on sort of a campaign of reform, uh, which is pretty interesting. He seems like a pretty reliable guy in everything I've read about him. But it's one of those things where even if sort of the figurehead of FIFA changes, it's there's still so much underneath him to have to reform that it almost seems an impossible task. It's one of those questions where you have to ask, is it worth keeping FIFA together or just you know starting something new? Which is obviously some sort of parallel universe situation that will never happen here. But... It's it's the real interesting thing to me is on Friday whether UEFA votes um, whether the European Confederation comes together and opposes the vote altogether. Um, I'm not sure there's a more impactful practical step that could be taken. So that's really the curious thing to me. If they step out, they say no. What happens after that? Does FIFA go through with it with member nations abstaining? Does UEFA boycott certain tournaments? There, there's so many questions, and they're all fascinating, but there's literally nothing to indicate which direction this could go. I'm, I'm going to jump in and say that Bladder is almost 100% going to win. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you look at the, the African Confederation came out very strongly uh, in favor of Bladder um, on Wednesday, like hours after all this stuff came down. You know, the CAF was... Um, was sort of decrying the idea of even thinking about postponing the election and um, came out in full support of, of Bladder. Um, the, the AFC, the, the Asian Confederation, has been very uh, quiet. That, you know, while it's nice that UEFA has been very vocal, I mean, Wales, uh, Iceland just recently came out and said they were voting against Bladder. Um, Platini has been talking very strongly about, you know, if, if Blatter wins, we'll have to consider, you know, UEFA's relationship with FIFA and all this stuff. But, um, you know, the the reality is that CONMEBOL is sort of the the nexus of a lot of this stuff. Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, all of their leaders were wrapped up in all this stuff. Um, and so it, it can't get done with just UEFA. And, I, you know, I don't think there's enough support. I think UEFA is like 50-something votes, and I think there's over 200 um, total. So, I, yeah, I think the uh, the Asia and African sort of confederations, if they all voted Bladder, it, he'd need like two more votes. So mm-hmm. um, that kind of seals the deal on it. Uh, you know, it's. I think one thing, the only thing that I can see happening is if you know, if a confederation like UEFA and its bigger countries boycott a World Cup event, that type of thing completely. And started its own sort of breakaway, democratic sort of body. I, but then, then you know, as kind of Will, you're talking about this, like, where's the middle ground? Where is this balance going to be good for the little countries? You know, do they deserve to be taken care of in, in a small, obviously a smaller way? But you know, they hold such a strong sway over this whole process that you know these guys are overseeing barebone FAs that don't make a lot of money, so they'll take some money. You know, they get some money, maybe they, they put some in their pocket, and they'll do whatever that person who is directing money into their pocket will do. Well, anyway, here's, I think the... Here's, just to end on a positive note, because I feel like maybe we need that. Um, you know, let's say Ali is, is elected, um, or, you know, down the road, somebody that's not Bladder is elected, which will happen someday. Um, I don't think he's a vampire. Uh, <laughs> you know, eventually, 
you know, all of this stuff that that's surrounding Bladder, I mean, this is going to tarnish him for the rest of his life, and, and you know, his legacy will be will, will be this essentially. You know, whether he's directly implicated implicated or not, um, you know, he he will have the sort of that stigma as like a a, a dirty leader. Um, so it, it's not going to be like when Bladder took over for for Havelange, where you know it was sort of this peaceful transfer of power and and. Bladder was like, yeah, there are some things we need to reform, but FIFA's in good shape. And, you know, whoever takes over for Bladder, and especially if it's it's on Friday, you know, he's going to have a lot of pressure on him. He's going to have a lot of eyes on him. You know, he's, he's the in a lot of ways, the, um, the senior leadership will be gutted just from, uh, you know, the Zurich headquarters from, you know, implications and arrests and I, you know, presumably Ali would would try to purge a lot of the bladder regime. So I think it, it'll be different. The, the the transfer of power will be different than it ever has been before. Now, whether that leads to comprehensive change and whether you know money is you know isn't changing hands on, under the table clandestinely anymore, you know, you can't speak to that. But I do think that regardless of, of when that happens, we will see a leader at least try. Um, there's just too much. There's too much global pressure now. It's it's ne- it's never been like this before. I definitely can agree with that. There's certainly momentum building that's never been there before. Uh, stay tuned to see how this kind of unravels. And I think that the the lamest part is, you know, just to use this as a, a pretty soon example is the women, the U.S. women's national team was in New York City for media day. And that sort of process was almost completely overshadowed shadowed by the FIFA nonsense. Now let's actually talk about soccer on the field, though, uh, before we get, end this episode of the Young Professionals. You know, we're harping on FIFA for 20 minutes, not even talking about soccer. Uh, the U.S. Under-23 men's national team is over in France for the Toulon tournament. Opened up yesterday, losing 3-1 to one against France. Uh, the host country kind of handed, the, handed them a can of whoop-ass, to use the 90s term. Uh, going up three nothing uh, in about 25 minutes inside uh, after the kickoff, it wasn't a good day for the U.S. Will, what were your some of your thoughts in the wake? You wrote obviously a reaction piece. Uh, care to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, it was just kind of a giant fart. I mean, the whole performance was just like it was uh, deflating. They looked disinterested. They didn't, you know. It was the the open. I will say this: the opening 25 minutes. It was one of the worst performances I've seen from a U.S. youth national team um, since I can remember. Um, you know, Dan Metzger in, in defensive midfield was um, was a bit flighty, uh, didn't look comfortable. Uh, Benji Hoya looked okay. I mean, nobody looked great in the first 25, but, you know, and he picked it up late. And um, But, you know, the real disappointments in my mind were Mark Pelosi and uh, Julian Green. Uh, both of those guys have been in Europe for a while. Um, Green forever, um, but you know Pelosi obviously with, with Liverpool, and he he just he looks like he never really recovered from his leg break. Um, I think that he got on the U seventeen level. Um, you know, it's it's disappointing because we haven't seen a whole lot of him, and if this is just how he, Pelosi is now. Um, I don't know that he has a future with with the U.S. national team system. I mean, he he wore the number ten. You know, he's he's more of a box to box guy, but um, he, he didn't look good attacking. He didn't look good defending. He, you know, he, he looked completely uh, disjointed. And then you had Julian Green, who you know everybody knows Julian Green, but um, 
he just looked bored. You know, he, it looked like he somebody woke him up before the match and was like, "Hey, man, we got to play some soccer." And he was like, "All right, whatever." I mean, he like he wouldn't make runs. He, um, you know, his dribbling was okay, but you know, he he was looked bored in space, and you know, his his passing was sort of lackadaisical. And I mean, who knows? It's you know, it's just one game, and it was against a France team that is very good, albeit it was basically a U twenty team. Um, but um, but yeah, they're they're gonna have to do a lot better. I think it should be pointed out for Maxi's sake because he's on the podcast that the U23s did in their last game before this one, they did beat Mexico, right, Maxi? They did beat Mexico. Sorry about that. Just wanted to put that out there. I'm I'm trying to be a bit more positive towards the second <laughs> half of the podcast, you know? Just try to keep the listeners engaged. I agree with you, Will. It was, it, it got better. Uh, the second half was much better than the first, which is what you'd want to see when your first half was so dire. Uh, one name that comes up a lot on the air, these airwaves, and we're going to talk about him again because he gave us reason to talk about, was Jordan Morris. And you watch you watch a player like him, you look at the emphasis. I know he's a special player. He's more of a special case than other guys. You watch a lot of the emphasis shift away from these under-23, under-20 players who are in college, and they talk a lot about being in a professional environment and that helping them, yet... Some of the other guys on these field, you know, Will Packwood has, you know, he's at a little bit of a career crossroads after getting released from Birmingham City, barely played the past year. Pelosi, obviously dealing with the injury issues, who knows how much he's been playing for Liverpool. You know, guys like that, they look so rusty and so out of it, yet Jordan Morris, who played, you know, he's been getting games in camps with national team, with a full team, with the 23s, scoring goals against Mexico like he did back-to-back games. He looked, he was the best player on the field, right? Yes. I, was, was, was I wrong? No, that's that's unquestionable. And it's it's sort of like okay, what? Where are these are these players making the right decision? You know, I guess you can second guess and formulate a lot of things because across the board from this team, the level that they're playing at, if they're playing at all, isn't very high. You know, Dan Metzger is going from USL to the international level, which I think he's a pretty good player. He had a good outing against Mexico, but he did not have some good touches during the opening stretches of that game is that kind of the right jump for him so do you think this is an issue with this squad is this something that it, i don't think anything's going to change pro emphasis is going to dominate but is that something worth kind of giving these players a break for maybe well it sort of emphasizes you know for all the the crap that we give klinsman over the you know the the rhetoric that he spews a lot of which doesn't make a whole lot of sense you know i think the one thing that he has really gotten right is that you know, players come from all different avenues. I mean, you need to, you really need to sort of allow for players to um, develop in ways that, that make them best, not necessarily fit them into uh, these these holes where they don't fit. And, you know, I think for the vast majority of kids, it's going to be the development academy and, you know, maybe turning pro at, at 18 or 19 and um, or maybe spending a year in college and then jumping pro. But, you know, that's not the best for everybody. And, you know, you can't make a blanket statement and say that college is definitively a bad route and you will get worse if you stay in college because it's, you know, as Jordan Morris has proved, that's absolutely not the case. Um, you know, I, I would say that, that he's better developmentally now than he was two years ago and he's on a faster plane of development than pretty much anybody on that U23 roster. And how many of those guys are pros? Pretty much all of them, right? Um, so, you know, is, are, is the right way pro early, you know, most of the time, yes, but 
to to make some judgment. I think Taylor Twellman made some like judgment call where he said, "What does it say about the U.S. development system that you know a guy like Jordan Morrison, who's in college, is getting time with the, the full national team?" It's like, well, it says nothing. It says something about Jordan Morris and that he belonged in college, probably. Um, but it also says Clemson really likes speed. He likes yes. fast players, Miguel Ibarra, because there's not a lot. There's not a lot in the player pool of players that who are fast. It's weird to say, but it's kind of true, right? Yeah, and it's it's true on the wings too. I mean, Ibarra is not fast. Ibarra and 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 Morris are more um, up the middle guys, but um, is, there's no. I mean, when's the last time the U.S. had a legit left winger, like Bobby Convy, maybe, <laughs> like ten years ago? And is and me calling Bobby Convy like a legit international left winger is also kind of funny, but Eddie Lewis, right? There you go, twenty years, thirteen years. He was at the twenty twenty two thousand two World Cup, right? Yeah, he was hardly in his prime. Yeah, that's true. No, that's that's a good point. I, I think that we could spend a lot of time talking about the performance, but there's obviously a game on Friday, so. Our, our last five minutes of opinion could be completely erased or it could be augmented even more as the U.S. plays its second game of the tournament on Friday going up against a very good, a very dangerous-looking Netherlands under-21 side. Uh, that game will be on BN Sport if maybe at 12.50 Eastern time. Uh, last, before we go, the big news in the U.S. youth development circles, under-20 World Cup starts... Friday night slash Saturday morning, depending on where you live, uh, with a 9 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. I'm, I'm talking slowly so I don't mess up the Pacific and Eastern. 9 p.m. Pacific time, midnight Eastern time kickoff against global powerhouse Myanmar. Now, the U.S. under-20s, they have a pretty solid roster, a good group of players going into this one. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about expectations and Will they make any sort of waves here? Will, do you think that we can expect a quarterfinal run? I think a quarterfinal run is probably your barometer, especially looking at that group. I like, I'm going to be the hot take guy on Twitter who's pissed if they don't win. How about that? <laughs> Maxie, is that the right opinion for Will? Um, I mean, I'm always in favor of hot takes. So, hot cakes too. So, I support that. But <laughs> Maxie, let, my, yeah. my question is if you'll let me take over the TDS Twitter and, and say that. Yeah, I think and then, you should get really aggressive the entire time and just call out, like, make it a real big fan account and start insulting, like, opposition players. I definitely think that's the right route. And then I can, like, create a fake tab ramos twitter and tag him as though it was a real tab ramos mm -hmm. i think that's a great idea just mask out photos as well I'm, I'm glad we're agreed on this um no so I, we're picking the u.s to win it all then yes or uh as you picked the the senior team last year to finish yes. dead, dead last in the tournament and i'm doing it again no i think i think quarterfinals is probably a good barometer i think um i'm probably not that optimistic uh, just because, you know, this this particular U twenty team has been so uh, flighty. You know, they they'll show up for some tournaments, and they won't show up for others, and you can't really predict which ones those are. Um, you know, they didn't really show up for Concacaf uh, in in the way that you would want them to. Uh, they did win some games. They won, pitched a bunch of shutouts. But you know, if you watch those games, you know, 
they weren't that good. And so, you know, I, I don't really know what to expect. I think it's a weak group. You know, you should deal with Myanmar. You should deal with, with New Zealand, despite the fact that they're the hosts. And, and the Kiwis rule. Uh, yes, and the Kiwis rule. The, uh, the junior all-whites, as I believe they're called. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what we kind of roll the dice with the Ukraine and, and see, you know, how good they are. They're supposedly fairly solid, although <laughs> none of us have really seen them. So, um, you know, you get through that, and it, it will really depend on whether they, they win the group or finish second. Because if you finish second, then you get a group winner, and that could be Argentina or Germany or, you know, you're kind of living dangerously in that respect. So um, if they win the group, I, th- I think quarterfinals should be the expectation. Um, if, if they finish second, I don't think they'll get out of the first knockout round. Well, I firmly expect to wake up Saturday morning to find that they've lost to Myanmar, Ugh. but that's just me. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> the... I do think that that hype video for the Myanmar <laughs> under-20 teams is worth checking it out on the blog. Visit topdressoccer.com uh, to see that. Last thing before we go, we wouldn't, we sh- couldn't let Maxi's expertise go un- underutilized here on the Young Professionals. Now, let's talk about this under-20 World Cup mascot, which is happens to be a sheep, I, I believe. I believe he's a sheep. I believe so, yes. Named Will I Am? Will I Am. I, I think he's been named after the Black, the Black Eyed, Eyed Peas member. Singer. Right. That's kind of dumb, right? Uh, I think so. Um, I mean, you have to admire... A, a, you know, a marketing team willing to really stretch with their efforts. But, yeah, he's kind of a terrifying mascot. <laughs> they are embracing their identity because, I don't know if you guys know this, there are more sheep than people in New Zealand. That's fantastic. Man. <laughs> it's giving me... And I'm not kidding. When I was walking through Auckland, there were, like, sheep everywhere. Like, not even, not, like, in the heart of the city, like, a little bit outside the outskirts, but it's true to its form. Anyway, that that's a great <laughs> note to end on. Um, under lots going on, obviously. Next week we'll be back, I think, with another episode, right? We will. Well, let's do two in one week. Let's do right? it. Uh, we'll talk a little Women's World Cup preview. Uh, they're kicking off north of the border, unless you know FIFA boots them out of the World Cup. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Uh, check out topdoorsoccer.com for all your under twenty three and under twenty men's team. We'll do some uh, coverage related to the Women's World Cup as well, all leading up to the World Cup. Uh, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, Travis M. Clark. You can follow Will on Twitter at Will Parchman. And Maxi is at Football Intellect. All right? That's a horrible name, but yeah, that's my handle. <laughs> yeah, that's your handle. <laughs> and of course, Top Drawer Soccer for all great content from the two of us, three of us, plus JR, who decided to boycott the podcast for reasons unknown. Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Thanks for listening. And enjoy your soccer. Yeah.